When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. a Celtic state of mind. It's Friday afternoon. I'm Paul John Dykes and I am delighted to be joined today by Jim Orr and Lloyd Patrick Jepson. Lloyd, you must have bought every single Celtic release. That's another training top you're wearing this week. Um, will you be buying the Sambas? No. <laughs> Are you mm-hmm. sure? I'm sure you said that about the fourth kit as well. I, d- I did say that about the fourth <laughs> kit as well. I and look what I ended up happening last week. So exactly, exactly. I mean, we're obviously at a stage that um, you can put a Celtic badge on just about anything, and it will do well because we're winning games of football on the park, Jim. Um, it's one of the ones where if you're in another position and you release an ACDC jersey, people might not want to buy it. But if you put that Celtic crest on a pair of Adidas, they're going to fly out the door. And that's the bottom line, Jim. If they didn't sell, they wouldn't be getting released. I have Adidas Sambas, which I wear four or five times a week when I play football. So uh, I'm kind of with it. You know, uh, I wouldn't buy Celtic Sambas. I wouldn't spend that kind of money. I don't understand this current craze for buying trainers to keep them on display. I just don't understand that at all. Mm. I, think that's a, mm. I think that's a young person thing. Uh, Adidas Sambas there to play football with, guys, not to not to display. So, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the old guy's view. Yeah, I ha- I have sambas, so there. So the the thing is, though, Jim, <clears throat> they have they've gone through various stages of being hip and not so hip. I mean, if I think back to my youth, and I've told the story before, and my old man going to the eighty five cup final and losing one of the sambas and coming home with one trainer on, it was basically you know that type of guy that would wear the sambas, you know, double denim, denim jeans, denim jacket, Celtic scarf, Perry sambas. You've seen them at Parkhead all the time for all the games. And then recently, or maybe in the last 20 years, they've become pretty hip. You see bands wearing them, Las Vegas wear them. And now Celtic and Adidas are collabing on a pair. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember, I don't know if you remember this, Jim, there was a pair of Celtic trainers back in the 1980s made by a company called Hits with a Z. You remember them? No idea, Paul. You're talking to the wrong person here. Chat to Lloyd for the next hour, basically. <laughs> if it's about fashion, as you can see, it's a non-starter. Uh, trainers are to play football with. I don't. I mean, 
football tops are to play football, not to watch football, you know. So I'm very traditionalist, very old school when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know. So uh, yeah, hey ho. So I've even seen them, Jim. I've even seen trainers being worn with a suit. Eric Cantona used to pull that one off pretty well. No sure I would even attempt. The that. world has gone mad, Paul. It's absolutely mad. Absolutely, it mad. has. It has gone mad, yeah. We're in the, the midst at the moment of an international break. Some people on Axom can't be doing international football. Um, we've, we've spoken to some of the contributors this week who can take it or leave it. But my interest is in the Celtic players who are involved. And the other day there, I'll come to you first, Lloyd. Um, very impressed, mm-hmm. like everybody else, with the wee snippets of Mikey Johnson's international debut. Uh, not getting carried away with it, but it was good to see him apparently playing with a bit of confidence and, and really contributing to Stephen Kenny's side in that friendly against Latvia. It's nice to see that Mikey's actually getting that game time as well. I think he's he needs to benefit for that. Can you do it week in, week out for Celtic? I don't know. Uh, I, it, the boy does have talent. That's the main thing. And, he definitely and does. For it, Victoria Guimaraes, I think he's he started off well. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of slipped off now a wee bit, but... Hopefully he can come back this summer and have a good pre-season and see what happens then. I look at him. Um, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, Brendan Rodgers gave Mikey his debut, I think. Did he give him his debut alongside Tony Ralston? I remember yeah. there was a game where he's taking him up to the Green Brigade and to get the applause, I'm sure that was his debut. So there's been quite a few... St. Johnson. St. Johnson. That, mm-hmm. Ah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's been quite a few managers who have believed in Mikey. I mean, he's got something, Jim. What, what does he mm. lack? Why has he not been able to establish himself at Celtic? I think the last is it three managers now have all kind of fancied him. Uh, he just doesn't get game time. And I think that's that's the issue. I think everyone will say, unless you get a run in the team, and I think Alan Morrison says something like 900 minutes, something like that, mm. 10 games before you can actually assess whether mm. someone's any good. If you give somebody a few games, then you can see what they can do. I think it's really, really difficult to come off the bench and try and make an impact in 20 minutes. Uh, He's quite a slight guy, so maybe injuries are an issue with him. Uh, doesn't do your confidence much good if you're always a sub and always coming on. Uh, hard to see where he gets into this Celtic team. I mean, I think there's been teams in the past, you know, three or four years where he could have been a starter, but didn't, wasn't a starter. So you'd like to see him get a few games. Will he get a few games when he comes back? It's highly doubtful. Yeah, I've been looking at the, the possibilities if he doesn't come back. You know, after the loan deal in the summer, there is a there's something within the, the loan deal where um, he could go and make his deal permanent. Um, however, the club that's taken him out in long wouldn't be able to afford them. I also think, though, uh, Lloyd, if you look at some of the teams in Scotland where Mikey would definitely be a first pick and would more than likely be one of the best players in the team in the squad, they'll not be able to afford his wages. So no, I, I reckon yeah, he'll go out again on loan, perhaps, mm-hmm. this summer, maybe for a year. Um, and if a club does want to to make a bid for him, it will probably be overseas. I think what we might see is what happened to Jack Hendry. I think we'll get another loan deal for Mikey. Yeah, I think so. It's last time I was on. Oh, you go, Lloyd, sorry. No, no, it's all right, Jim. When you go, no, it was the last time we were on. Joe Miller was on, and I made the point that you're going to get less and less Joe Millers because uh, if you're signing players from Japan and North Korea and Argentina, then there's less and less opportunities for like homegrown players. And if Joe Miller had played now, Joe Miller might have been like Mikey Johnson and doesn't get a regular game, has to go out and maybe ends up being lost to Celtic. But you're not, if you're if you're good enough to play in, in the Celtic first team, then you're then you're a good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think he's 
it's a bit uh, unfortunate for them that we're now in a position where we're signing players from all over the world and that's the competition now. It's not trying to be better than the guy down the road. It's trying to be better than somebody who's coming from Argentina and that's a huge challenge. And and you're right about other clubs can't afford them because the I think the gulf between the top two and the rest of the league is as is, 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 is big as it's ever been. I think it's massive. Massive now. Even to the hibs and hearts of this world, it's massive. So uh, from Mikey's point of view... It'd be good to see him come back and have maybe two or three games and do really well and then give Ange a decision to make. You know, there's all this talk about a badder going and maybe Mikey's going to be his replacement. I think that's a bit of a leap, but mm. uh, we'll see what happens. I think it is a leap, you know. And uh, you, you've also got to consider on the right-hand side, I know that Mikey can play either, either or, but on the right-hand side, you've got James Forrest, whose last mm. two to three seasons, Lloyd, have been hampered by injury. He's getting to that age. Yeah. He's, he's by no means old, but he's you know moving into his thirties, and injuries have kept up in the last few years predominantly. And you think to yourself, how much is he going to contribute in the next four or five years? So on the one hand, I can understand the argument, but when I look at the wingers that Celtic have at their disposal, I just cannot see where Mikey's going to come in and play a dozen games of football, which is probably no. what he needs. No, you're correct, there, Paul John. It's <laughs> You've got Abada, you've got Jota, you've got Maeda, you've got Hatchabanovic. Even Kyogos went out left in Angie's first season. So it, it doesn't fit in the team. And as you say, James Forrest is there as well, but he's a bit part player now, mm-hmm. which is sad to see. But that's just state of Celtic squad at the minute. It's, it's too good to get in. Yeah, yeah, that is. And if you imagine if uh, indeed Leo Abada does leave, and we'll talk about that. Um, we will have even more funds to perhaps find a replacement. And, you know, Mikey gets knocked down the peck in order even further. James Devine is, uh, has been in Liverpool all week. Are you going to be there for the weekend? We'll be talking about that as well, James. Celtic legends, in inverted commas, Jim, will play <laughs> a, a Liverpool select uh, for charity, which is great. And Celtic fans are going down in huge numbers. Quite a few of the Axon team are going down. Jungle Line gets in early as he often does. Uh, great to see you again. Get the spine of any team right, you're halfway there. McGregor is a big part of the spine. By the way, no interest in international football. So, Jim, international football, you are a fan. You absolutely are a fan. I am but that soldier. Yeah, I am that soldier. Yeah, You are. Do you understand <laughs> the um, the people within Axel and within the fan base who are not big advocates in international football? Of course. I mean, I think... Uh, I've said this before a number of times, money's changed everything, I think. So, somewhat the Champions League, I mean, if you compare the Champions League to international football, the Champions League wins. So, if you've got that to compete against, I think it's difficult. Uh, I think given the nature of the Celtic support, it's always been a bit divided. Is it, is it Scotland? Is it Ireland? Is it, is it somebody else? So, I totally understand that. But I, I I like football and uh, I've always liked uh, going to watch Scotland. And I know... People make the point about the SFA and all this kind of stuff. It's the guys on the park. That's the main thing for me. And there's been Celtic players, you know, lots of Celtic players played down the years. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to the, the 98 World Cup, went to the Norway game over there, and we'd like five or six Celtic players. That was in the 97 98 season. So Celtic players play for Scotland. Uh, it's a chance for the country to get together, to get behind a team. I know that doesn't happen. Uh, and I know there's reasons why it doesn't happen. But... Uh, I like international football. I like, I like watching Scotland. I don't watch international football. I like watching Scotland in the same way that if Celtic aren't playing, I'm not interested in watching other football. So, mm. But yeah, I'm a fan. I also live quite near Hamden, so I've always 
it's been down the road. So from a convenience point of view, it's kind of always been there. And, and kind of, uh, yeah, I see why people aren't bothered because uh, Celtic is about passion and about emotion. And if you don't get that emotion, don't get that passion elsewhere, I think that's totally understandable, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. See, the thing with that, Jim, you, you mentioned there about uh, the passion and emotion, right? Um, I've often been asked, why do you support Celtic? Right, because uh, presumably I don't have a G postcode, so I get asked that question quite a lot. Um, and, you know, I could go into the the um, introduction or the indoctrination into supporting Celtic, which is generations and generations of your family. But sitting as an adult, I can honestly say that no other football team has given me that kind of emotion. Like, for example, people tell me they support an English team. They've got an English team or they favour an English team. There's not an English team on the planet that if they got beat, it would upset me. It wouldn't upset me. I would never be up nor down. Um, I'm not quite the same when it comes to international football because uh, growing up, I was a, a massive fan. I used to love the finals, the tournaments. Um, Scotland, of course, Jim, as you know, were in most of them uh, as I was growing yeah. up. That kind of hit a brick I think that's what I think that's also a, a big point of it, Paul. Yeah. In that, and also the TV thing as well. And I think I've said Naxon before. Anyone who is of my generation, and there must be people out there who are my generation, you didn't get wall to wall football on TV back in the day. So in 1970, which is the first World Cup I can remember, honestly, I can remember 1970, Pele was playing. And you'd only, you'd only heard about Pele. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there he is on a colour TV, because people had black and white TVs. He's on the telly, there's, there's Pele, and he's playing for Brazil, one of the greatest Brazil team ever. And it's glorious technicolour, unbelievable stuff. And then the following World Cup, Scotland qualified, first time he qualified in 16 years. And with Dennis Law, and with Billy Bremen, and Jimmy Johnson should have, should have played, and Danny McGrain was there. And it was, it was huge to actually qualify for the World Cup. And I was kind of like mid-teens then. And then we qualified for the next four on the bounce. And we were always going there. So, And if you're part of something, it's dead exciting. Similar mm. to when Celtic don't qualify for the Champions League. You're not bothered about Champions League. You can't be bothered with it. But if Celtic are in it, you can't wait for the anthem. And it's dead exciting. And if you're a Scotland fan and haven't qualified for anything for like 25 years, it's like being a, a fan of Motherwell or St. Johnston or whatever. That you're not winning anything, so it's hard. I mean, I, I've got the, the utmost admiration for, for football fans who watch teams who are not successful mm-hmm. because that's your real football fans. And it annoys me when I see things like a club like no other. <laughs> Every club is a club like no other. Be it, you know... You know, Albion Rovers or Stranraer or, or, or Dunfermline, they're all a club like no other. You know, and every fan is very passionate. And you mentioned the word emotion. <clears throat> Football is all about emotion. If you're not emotionally involved, you're not really involved. I mean, if you're if your English team is Liverpool and they get beat and you're no bothered, you're no emotionally involved. No. It doesn't count. And when you go and watch Celtic, and there's something I've said before about do you go and watch it for the enjoyment? Or do you go watch it for the emotion that's behind it? And I think for most people, it's the emotion behind it. Do you really enjoy the games? With 50 minutes to go last Saturday and it's one each against 10 main hibs, are you enjoying it? <laughs> are you really enjoying it? Or are you thinking, we're going to drop two points to hibs <laughs> who have taken 10 goals off in the last two games mm-hmm. and they've got 10 men and we've scored with a penalty and it was a rubbish penalty as it was. This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Oh, bang, two one to us. Life is good again, you know. And it's like the Ross County game, you know, you're thinking terrible game and then all of a sudden the 97th minute and that changes your mood completely. And that's your acid test. That is always your acid test. Emotion. 
always your answer to it. I don't have quite the emotion for Scotland, I have for Celtic, but years ago, there wasn't much in it. It was pretty even because we had good players. We could compete. We could go to World Cups, although we underachieved all the time. Mm. We could compete with the Dalglishes and the Sunnis and Wally Millers and Hansen and phenomenal teams. We went there thinking we could actually do something now. Now we think we can't qualify. That's where we are just now. We're playing Cyprus tomorrow and you know, we'll end up one each or something like with, with Cyprus and then go out and do the same against Spain on Tuesday because that's kind of where we are. We don't have the players now. Money has changed the football landscape mm. entirely, entirely, and none more so than international football because we don't have the players coming through. Mikey Johnson and another either, if he'd have picked Scotland, obviously, would have been somebody who you thought, he's a definite player. He's a definite player. But now there's hardly any players and you look at who's playing for Scotland now, and, you, and I understand people who know that first looking at the Scotland squad and thinking, who's he? Who's you're he right. play for? I don't <laughs> know who he is. And therefore, how do you get that? Whereas if you're thinking, if you're looking at a Scotland team with Sunnis and Alglish and Joe Jordan and Strachan and Danny McGrain and all these kind of guys, <laughs> and you can't get up for that, I think there's something wrong. I understand now we're a bit of a downward slide, and we need to kind of sort that slide, but I think with that Mikey Johnson story, it's harder and harder for young Scottish guys to get into the teams here. And if you don't do that, then what kind of national team are you going to end up with? I think we're going to just really struggle and that's kind of where we are. Evil. It's an interesting one, Jim, because <clears throat> I think back, I always talk about the squad that Scotland took to Mexico in 1986. Now, some of the names you've mentioned didn't make it for various reasons. Kenneth Alglish. Uh, Alan Hansen didn't travel. Alex Ferguson was the interim manager due to the passing yeah. of Jockstein. But that squad is sensational when you read Charlie Nick, players. David mm-hmm. Cooper, Frank McIverney, Roy Aitken, Gordon Strachan, Willie Miller, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. Just And also, it's the fact that other teams in Scotland uh, had players in the team. Dundee United, you know, Neary, Hegarty, Malpass, Sturrock, Aberdeen, Leighton, Miller, McLeish, Strachan. Mm-hmm. You know, so a different era. You know, for me, a much better either because it was, you know, you weren't going to matches thinking how many are going to win today. If you're playing Dundee United at Parkhead in 1982-83, and if we beat them, that's a huge achievement. Nowadays, if we don't take three or four off them, we should have taken three or four off them. And that's that's where we are, you know, in that bit of it. Enjoyment, emotion, mm, you know. It's an interesting uh, concept that you've mentioned a few times, Jim. You're not happy unless Celtic are 3 nothing up, am I right? I think the enjoyment comes in when you're three nothing up. I think when you get to three nothing, I think you kind of, I think I've said before, you, you go from kind of, what's the word I'd use before? You, you go from, from endurance to enjoyment. If it's one nil with 10 minutes to go, are you enjoying it? Seriously, are you enjoying one nil with 10 minutes to go? Nah, you're not. Two nil with 10 minutes to go, mm, you're kind of getting there. Three nil, you're sitting back. Let's have a few more goals. This is good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, again, you're getting back to the, other E, the emotion behind it. Because you know, and that's what's been great about Ange's team to bring things back to Ange, is that we have very rarely, if never, lost a late goal and blown a game. And the one time we did do it was up at St. Johnson. And then you say we got up at Park and we scored again. Yeah. You know, and it's been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The last last two home games, 2 1 with maybe 10 minutes to go. And you're thinking, you know, because this league is, I mean, I know we're nine points clear. But we know that if we drop any points, it's a disaster and we give them a bit of hope. So you don't want to give them any hope. So you don't want to drop any points at all. 
2-1 with 10 minutes to go. Mm, you know, and then Haxa, both those games come off, off the bench, scores a vital goal, kick back, relax. And then you do, you get into that endurance to enjoyment bit. You know, because it's all about winning games now. Football's all about winning games. It's not about playing good football. It's not about enjoying games, I don't think. It's about putting three points on the board. You'd much rather play badly put three points on the board and play really, really well and drop points. Because that's where we are in the type of league that we're in. And that's why, I mean, I, I, I've said this before, but I wouldn't want to go to England. No interest in England. Mm. I'd like to see a genuine European league where that's the games on a Saturday. We're playing whoever, Benfica, Anderlecht, whoever. Where you're going there thinking, if we win today, that's a huge achievement. And if, and if, and if we don't win, it's no big deal because this is the league we're in. This is a hard league that we're in. Whereas we're going to league games now. And last Saturday, I mean, I think Hibs were obviously... The guy getting sent off changed the game. Because I think the, the last two games, although we took 10 goals off them, Hibs played quite well. You know, they came there looking to play football. Mm-hmm. Whereas last Saturday, they lose a man, they're a goal up, they just retreat and they waste time and all that kind of stuff. And it's just total Celtic, you know. And as a, as a contest, it was a known event. You know, it's just, well, just wave after wave after wave after wave. And I'd like to be in a league where you're pushed for the whole game. And that's what's good about the Champions League. You go there thinking, it'd be great to win tonight. And if we don't win, we don't win, but it'd be great to win tonight. You go to most league games thinking, we need to win today, and we should win today. And if we don't win today, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's a different attitude, I think. Anyway, rant over for today. So. <laughs> no, but I'm pretty sure that we'll get another one before the end of the show, Jim. But... You raised a brilliant point about uh, European Super League because that, again, has been in the offing. I don't know if it's because, you know, there are plenty of news sources looking for a story. Uh, but let me see if I can pronounce his name. We have uh, Bernd Reichart. I don't know if you've read the story in the press over the last couple of days. Lloyd, he is talking of, like what Jim just explained there and described, domestic kings um, being pushed into a different league, a European Super League. And he says that he's already in or has been in dialogue with some clubs in Scotland. He didn't go as far to name them, but I'm sure it's not Albion Rovers and Arbroath. So European Super League, will we see it in your lifetime, Lloyd? And if so, would you be happy with that? Or do you prefer it where it is right now in Scotland? It's hard to say you prefer it right now in Scotland. Obviously, Scotland's bread and butter. No matter what, we all know that. That's that's Brimber, but football is changing. That that's the be all and end all now. Money's talking. I mean, you see now with Man United getting apparently bought over for billions of pounds. Chelsea get bought over billions of pounds. Money does the talking in football now. Mm-hmm. Will we see it in your lifetime, Jim? Hey, I'm old. Lloyd's lifetime, maybe mine's not so sure. Uh, I don't like what's like super. I think that I, I hate these super leagues and and stuff like that. It's a European league, uh, and in there by merit, so it's not like a hand picked thing. And you can do it by the coefficient, or you can come up with something. I just feel, I think, I always, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the 80s again there. That if you were a fan of Aberdeen, you, you at the start of the season, you could win the league. If you're a fan of Dundee United, you could win the league. Even Hearts were good back then. You can I would love to see that within this country. I'd love to. I don't mind not winning the league as long as the other mob don't win it. <laughs> you know, I'm happy if Hibs win it. I'm happy if Aberdeen win it. I'm happy if St Mirren win it. 
because we'd have a contest then, a genuine contest, and that's never going to happen because the disparity. If you look to see where other Scottish teams are signing players from, mm-hmm. it's the lower leagues in England. You know, it's so league, league one and league two. So that's the standard that we've got in this country. And there's a vast, huge difference between the top two and the rest. And if you're a Hibs fan or a Hearts fan, it'd be great to think, looking forward to next season, we could win the league. But they're starting off thinking, it'd be great to get third. I know. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why when people talk about Celtic fans being entitled, we are a bit entitled. You know, because if we get third, that's a disaster. It's an absolute, and second's a disaster. Mm-hmm. So how do you change that? Well, you could go down south if you were invited down south. But as I said before, I'm uncomfortable with paying Celtic players 200 grand a week. That wouldn't sit mm-hmm. very well with me. I just want a league that it's a, it's a good contest. Benfica coming to Parkhead next Saturday afternoon, the three o'clock kickoff. That'll be a tough game. We're going to Anderlecht next Saturday. Keep, keep the cups. Or keep our involvement in the cups. And give the Scottish teams a chance to win the league. If they get quite a good league, then Hibs and Hearts and Aberdeen and Dundee United, that was I think that would tend to sort itself out. Maybe not a lot of money in it, but if you're a fan of these teams, having a chance of winning the league would be huge. Would be absolute, and that's what you find when they, when a Scottish team goes down a league, and have a chance of coming back up, they tend to get far more coming to the games. Yes, because of a chance when 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 Hibs went down, they were getting huge crowds. Because we're talking about the league and winning games and we've got a chance mm-hmm. to get back up. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, the teams are beating Arnold at the top teams, but we're top of the league and success brings fans back. Get to a cup final and you've got 25,000 fans coming from St. Johnson or Combe. Where are they? Jim, Maybe it's they... a really, for me, I, I find it dead interesting, right? And I had a conversation 11 years ago with uh, someone involved at Dunfermline Athletic who told me they prefer to be a yo-yo club. Because they get into the Premier League, or the Premiership as we now call it, and Dunfermline v St Mirren when they're 7th and 8th in the league isn't a big draw. And I remember uh, the first game of a a campaign back then was live on Sky. It was Dunfermline Athletic against St Mirren, and the place was empty. And if you look at the previous season, or the season where they're pushing for the Championship, let's say, as you say, the crowds are up. You look at them playing Falkirk the other week. Capacity crowd at Eastern Park. Spot on with that, and it's a very interesting one on a, on a psychological level because you would think you'd want to be in the top division, and I think they do like to go in for three or four years, but they don't mind being a yo-yo club. And I think there's also been um, situations, and I think we Joe mentioned it the other week, Jim, where Clyde he got the Clyde side to the point where they're pushing for promotion. That was that same Clyde team that knocked Celtic at the cup and took Rangers mm-hmm. to extra time in the following round. <clears throat> or in one of the following rounds, pushing for promotion. And he got the sense that the club didn't really want that. They didn't really mm. want to get promoted from that particular league. So it's a very interesting one uh, when you think about it, because as football fans, you just want to keep winning. But like you say, if you get to a final, all of a sudden there's 20,000 fans wanting to go to the to the match. Now, Lloyd, I've not asked you, what, what is your relationship with international football? Are you... Um, a devotee as Jim is, or are you more of a kind of casual observer? I'm more a casual observer. I, I do like watching Scotland win. I, I, that's the main thing for me. Internationally, I see, like seeing Celtic players do well in Scotland win. But my main focus is always Celtic. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, Danielle comes in to give us an update on uh, Maeda, who has been chosen for Japan, unlike Hatati and Kyogo. He hasn't started this morning. However, a guy from Bochum who has scored two goals this season in 18 starts is up front. Come on, we Kyogo is better than that. Kematsu uh, points out that apparently Maeda's not trained yet with the squad and he might feature uh, on Tuesday. Uh, the other player that I would like to focus on, we've spoken a wee bit about Mikey, um, who is, yeah, He's playing for Ireland, but, you know, uh, like you say, Jim, had he got the game time, sufficient game time, you know, he might have been in and around Scotland squads, but he was so far out the picture at this stage. If someone shows him a wee bit of um, belief, as Stephen Kenny obviously has, I can understand why he would go and play his football there. Um, the other player, of course, is the one on the tagline, Callum McGregor. The success story, one of the success stories of the Celtic side, is McGregor when you look at his career and how he's kind of prospered from a 21-year-old being introduced to the first team by Ronnie Dyla, coming into the first team at quite a late stage, really, Jim, at 21. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point during that process, he has shown the leadership qualities that got him the captaincy. And I think that since that time, since Ange handed him the captaincy, he's improved. He was called earlier uh, by the Scottish coach, um, that John Carver, that he is a coach on the pitch. That's what he was called, a coach on the pitch. He's set to win his 50th cap tomorrow and he is starting to become as important for Scotland as he is for Celtic, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's unusual, I think, because obviously money's not everything to Callum. I'd also be down the road like Kieran Tierney did. So he obviously loves playing for the club, loves the responsibility, uh, and he's been absolutely phenomenal the last two seasons. I mean, uh, before that, obviously, but, but taking on the captaincy from such a figure that he took it from was like a kind of huge risk, you know. Mm-hmm. And it could have all fell flat on its face last year. I mean, we, 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 we could have ended up another, another poor season, but he's the guy behind how well we did, and he's essential to the whole thing. And somebody posted another quote, the guy's name, about having the spine of the team, right? Well, he's in the middle of that spine. Basically, he keeps everything going. And when you see him in the huddle, he's really animated, really, you know. I always wonder what the, what, what the foreign players make of that. You know, if you're South Korea, you're Japanese, you're Korean, you're thinking, what's, what's this guy saying? But he's really animated and mm-hmm. we need to do this. Uh, he should have won more caps for Scotland by this time. I mean, 50 sounds like a lot, but given his age, he should have won a lot more. Uh, he's key to the Celtic team moving forward. And I'm just pleased that he's at, he is where he is because I think it would have been pretty easy for him in years going by to have moved down. So particularly after that disastrous season two seasons ago, that'd be the easy option. Uh, go down south and play for a kind of mid, mid-range top team down there. But he's stuck with it. And a uh, huge guy. Lovely guy as well. Really nice guy. Always comes across really well, really humble, really polite. Obviously, he's got the respect of his, po- his, his uh, peers. And the manager that he's played under as well. I think we're very, very lucky to have the guy at Celtic Park, and hopefully he's there for many years to come. I think one of the biggest examples, as Jim pointed out there, Lloyd, is the fact mm-hmm. he's proof that not every footballer is on the gravy train. They're not just chasing the dollar. I mean, you look at the trajectory of his career coming in a wee bit late. He could have, you know, disappeared without trace in terms of Celtic. Prior to that, obviously had his loan deal, which was very successful uh, down at Notts County. Um, and then since then, I think he came in and done really well under Ronnie, but then he faded a bit. And then obviously Brendan Rodgers comes in. He developed as a player under Brendan. 
And then, as Jim says, you've got that that period uh, at the latter end of uh, Neil Lennon's tenure where, you know, Callum's coming off the park and he seemed a bit disillusioned when he was being interviewed post-match after big defeats. Uh, he's handed the captain's armband and he's absolutely flying. Um, and you sometimes think, well, he's heading towards, like, you know, 500 appearances for the club. He's a late bloomer. Uh, will he be able to get the time at the end of his career that he maybe kind of lost at the beginning of his Celtic career? You would kind of hope so in that aspect. But it's like Jim says, with regard to Callum and the huddle and that, you see even at the end of the League Cup final, the passion that he shows for the club when he goes and celebrates with the fans as well. He basically is a fan on the pitch as well now. But he's got that captain's armband. And when he first came into the team under Ronnie, he didn't know where he was going to go because he was kind of just that bit part player coming in and out now and again mm-hmm. had a few injuries but I think the best thing that happened to Callum was when Brendan Rodgers came in and got him right in the middle of the park and started passing the ball he's actually scored quite a good few goals that season as well yeah, yeah I remember I think it was two against Rangers that season so yeah he's, he's come on leaps and bounds and turned into a fantastic captain and what better captain to take over for Scott Brown and the compliment Scott paid him only recently as well. So, nice. It's, you don't get any better than that for Carl. Massive compliments. I, I think you've seen a real development. He's a different type of player now. If you ever get the chance to mm-hmm. look at some of the previous games, like in his earlier days at Celtic, and he was he was trying wee tricks. He was a jinky player. He was trying to take guys on. Completely different player now. He was more of a winger, I think, yeah. back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's got that thing when he scores goals, he scored some very important goals. He likes a European goal, certainly under Ronnie Dyla as well, where mm-hmm. he's able to get an incredible amount of power in, but it's almost like he places it. Remember his, um, his cup final goal? It was against uh, Motherwell. That was yeah. the game where I was at, I was at that game with Kevin Graham and Marvin Comper, but that's another story. And he, <laughs> he manages to put an incredible amount of power in, but it's almost like he places the ball in um, into the net as well. So Callum McGregor will be making his 50th, gym, And like you say, at that age, you know, Dalglish is a record holder, 102 caps. He played until when? I, mean, I think he just retired prior to Mexico 86, 86 didn't he? Yeah. So what yeah. age would he have been then? 36, maybe? I was... Easily mid thirties, mm-hmm. uh, but just to get back to the Mikey Johnson thing, that the reason that that we're, we're talking about Callum being such a good player because Callum get game time, mm-hmm. you know, and there's such a fine line in football that if you're given a chance, then you've got a chance to do well. If you're not given a chance, then nobody knows how good you are. And, and football has been littered over the years of people who just haven't been given a chance. So, but yeah, he was he was given his chance, and and he and didn't didn't he kind of with both hands grabbed it and uh, and hasn't looked back. I remember speaking to an ex-player at Celtic who spoke about um, the momentum of your career. And if it's, you know, he says you can go up a a steep hill as a footballer as long as you're going at a decent pace, he said. But if you stop, it's like stopping in a vehicle on a really steep hill on a handbrake and then trying to get going again a wee bit. And you see players like Mikey Johnson, that seems to have happened at Celtic. You remember the hype around some of the other players, Jack Aitchison coming in, massive hype around that player. Uh, you remember Cal- Calvin Miller, who's now at Morton, came in. He had won some European accolade. But these guys' careers, there was a point where they needed games to ensure the momentum continued, and it didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, he's likely to win his 50th cap. Uh, Jim will be at the game. I think um, also, Paul, that's the thing that fans don't really see as the kind of psychological element of it, which is like 90% there. I mean, there's, there's, and no other job are... 
you're going every day to your work and people want to do your job and try and kick you out your job and, and take your job from you. And I publicly tell really. you how badly you are doing it aye, <laughs> as well. Aye, yeah. and you get 60,000 people at the game telling you how bad you are. And just mm-hmm. mentally, it must be so, so challenging. And then every year or every transfer window, who's coming in to take your job? You know, and that's what I was saying to somebody a few weeks ago there. It's about if, if, if you worked in an office and you're sitting there and all of a sudden they bring some new guy in to say, this guy's doing your job. What do you mean? He's a, you're out, he's in. What, what do you mean? You know, and by the way, he's from Japan. What? Why is this guy from Japan doing my job? What, why is this? There's another guy. He's from Argentina. He's doing. He has, what, what? What's happening here? You know, it's madness. So true. And psychologically, you have to be up for that because you know there's young guys come through all the time. They're signing players from here, there, and everywhere. You're there in front of sixty thousand people who are being for love, emotional wrecks, and they've and they've transferred that emotion to you on the pitch, and you've got you've got their hopes and dreams. You know, psychologically, wow, you know. It must be really difficult. I think this point here uh, taps into that uh, in a way. George Kidd says he needed to toughen up, yeah. maybe physically and mentally, because, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you've been thrown in the scrap heap. There was that moment which became a meme where he's uh, injured after telling the gaffer, telling you when and he's all right, he stays on, he gets injured, he has to get taken off. And we all know the meme I'm talking about. And that must do... Um, terrible things to a player because they're human beings just like you and I. And also, like you say, they're just the doing their job. Sorry, but in again, sorry, the point that George makes there, uh, out to get a wee bit tougher, back in the day again, your Dalglishes and McGrains and all these things, I went to the juniors mm-hmm. where they get kicked all over the pitch. And I would certainly toughen them up. Obviously, that doesn't happen. And I'm not saying people should be kicked all over the pitch. That's not a good idea. But in terms of toughening people up, I think if you go to Celtic as a young guy and everything's on a plate for you, you maybe don't realise how tough football is away from Celtic Park because you're kind of enclosed there. Mm-hmm. So you do go away and have to find out other things and fend for yourself and stuff like that. So as a as an actual person, I'd imagine that's pretty good for him. And he realised that, you know, not everything is like Celtic. Not everything is this huge stadium and brilliant, you know, facilities to train in and things on the hand and foot. Other people they have to work a lot harder than you have. So maybe you have to work a bit harder. Mm-hmm. That's how so many of them, Jim, mm-hmm. they leave Celtic and they fall down the leagues. You know, domestically, you see ex-Celtic players and the Scottish second tier and third tier. And um, it really is it's a, a shock to the system, I'm pretty sure. And a lot of them are lost to the game altogether. Kevin Graham is coming in to say afternoon to the Axrom viewers. Kevin and I have uh, taken Screamer Celica back on uh, this week. We've been on twice and hopefully that will be more of a, a regular thing. Kind of midweek when we're able, we'll come on. We'll talk about a certain period in Celtic's history and we will focus on a particular album from that time as well. Um, in any era but uh, we tend to focus on the kind of 90s because that's when we were young and uh, free and doing our thing during the Britpock, Manchester kind of era. I want to talk about Leela Bada. Now, I've been reading the comments that have come in this week, uh, both live and after the, the, the live broadcast is finished. And people are some people are saying, well, why are we discussing it? It's all paper talk. It's speculation. He's a Celtic player. He's under contract. Absolutely get all of that. But there is speculation um, from a couple of different sources. And I'm not going to say who he's been linked to and, and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, it could be a, a number of clubs that, that's named and none of them come to fruition often. But Leela Bada this season, Lloyd, has been a subject of a lot of transfer speculation. And I get the sense with Ange, um, going by what he said 
you know, via the press to the Celtic fans that if it is the case that his head's been turned and he fancies a challenge, as they call it, elsewhere, he won't stand in his way, will he? He, he will identify no. a replacement and we'll get him in in plenty of time. Yeah, definitely. Maybe even pause. I think yourself and JP spoke yesterday as well. Maybe a replacement might already be lined up if a badder does go, which seems to be the way Celtic start doing things now. So if a badder does go, it goes with best wishes. If he doesn't, then he's still got a career. Time to develop as well at Celtic because he's still young. So he's got that time in his hands where he doesn't really need to move right now. But if that's what he wants to do, then so be it. I, I just think when we've seen his development, Jim, he's come in, you and I have spoken quite a bit about Abada uh, because you know your opinion is that you don't think he's a he's an out-and-out out winger. Um, but he has he's certainly been effective and he's been very effective under Ange and he's developed, but I think that he's still got development to do at Celtic before the time is right for him to move on. And you see this quite a lot with players, though. They've got it in their mind that they want to move on. They're getting fed information from their advisor or advisors in many cases. And again, it becomes psychological. If they've checked out mentally, it's time for them to go. I think Abad would be a good example of how modern football works in, in that I've spoken far too much about Abada, and I'm not looking for Abada to leave at all because I think his stats are unbelievably good. Uh, I think he could be a better player. I don't think he's as skillful as other players in the team, but he's, he's a knack for scoring goals and his stats are unbelievable. And I think, and it's something that Andy said as well, don't get too attached mm-hmm. to some of these players and money talks all the time. But even from the club's point of view, and without sounding too accountancy, there's a time to kind of maximise your assets or maximise the value of your assets. He had a phenomenal season last season. So if you're looking at it purely from a pound note point of view, the end of last season would be the best time to sell him in terms of to get maximum value because you think he's not going to be that good again. But his stats are still really good. He's not going to game as much, but his stats are really good. And I think we'll get good value for somebody like him. I'm not saying sell him, but if somebody's stats are good, there's a time to sell. Maybe this is the time to sell. From a club's point of view, from an Ange point of view, I also think, getting back to the kind of uh, how football, how people don't realise how football works. His big pal left at the end of mm. last season, near mm-hmm. near on. Mm-hmm. And if, if you work, no matter who you are, whether you work in an office, you work outside, usually maybe you've got a best pal. And your best pal makes your job better. Seems the best pal leaves. All of a sudden the job isn't as good. You don't enjoy it as much. And I think that's maybe a huge factor because neither seem to take him under his wing and look after him. And he had a phenomenal season. Then your big pal leaves. He maybe doesn't have that anymore. He's maybe not enjoying life as much. And if you can get more money elsewhere and he's playing really well, why not go? So I can see from his point of view why he might want to go. From a Celtic point of view, if we can get good value for him, that would be good. But I'm a bit wary because... uh, we didn't get good value for Yakimakis and Juranovic. And Abada signed around about the same time. So is there something wrong with the kind of contracts we gave to these guys? I don't really know. If we get good money for him and he wants to go and his head's been turned, then yeah, he has to go. And I'm sure Andrew bring in somebody else. I don't think he's a first pick. So it doesn't bother me as much as if we lost a Yota or a Kyogo because mm. these guys are central to the team. I think he's an impact sub 
He's got an eye for goal when he comes on. When maybe the teams are tired that we're playing against, he's got a bit of pace about him. I think he's an instinctive player. I think you give him the ball and ask him to do something, I think he struggles. You put the ball ahead of him, get him to run onto it, he's great, he'll score goals. Mm. So uh, I don't like talking about players who might, might leave, but if a player leaves the team, there's an optimum time to sell them, I think. And if it was a badder, then I think now is the optimum time. And he's not a first pick for me. So all that kind of adds up to say that I wouldn't have been that bored if he went, as long as we get a decent fee. And I'm sure if Angie gets a decent fee, Angie will know what to do with the fee. It's an interesting part of that um, explanation there, Jim, that you mentioned about the, the timing of his purchase and the contract he might be on. Because some eyebrows were raised at the transfer fees of Yakamakis and Juranovic. And uh, there has been a suggestion it's because the contracts were being done at that time under the previous CEO. There might have been sell-on clauses added in. You know, we benefited from a sell-on clause when we signed Henrik Larson for 650 grand. It does happen. Um, because the transfer fees that, you know, I know that Celtic and football fans can add millions on top of transfer fees when they're valuing players, but we did feel that we could have got more for those two guys. And um, it might be the same with Abada. We shall see. We'll probably never find out until a long time after the event if it was anything to do with the timing of those deals getting done. Robert Highland, a regular contributor on YouTube, but Mikey has no future at Celtic, says Robert. And we've also got uh, Ian McMillan coming in to say, I don't think Mikey will make it here. His end product would have to improve enormously. There's a lot of talk around Mikey. Uh, Michael Keyes remembers when Damien Duff left us. He said Michael Johnson, Mikey Johnson even, uh, was one of the most skillful players he had seen. I've heard a few of the players saying that as well uh, within the squad. And Urban Culture, the only way we keep Mikey is if we offload a lot of the dross. Well, there's a lot of players in that loan list that I would like to see leave the club quicker than Mikey. I would certainly say that. There's a lot of players in there. Um, now, with regards to uh, another quote that I've seen during the week, one thing that uh, Leela Bada and others might care to pay attention to, but I doubt that they will because the pound signs certainly uh, overpower things like this. Scott Sinclair was talking this week and he said that his time at Celtic was probably the happiest time of his career. And you see a lot of ex-players saying that's so when they've left, they look back and go, God, that was a great club, great fans, brilliant winning trophies because the grass isn't always greener. Um, I want to talk about the situation that we've, we are faced with now, Lloyd. Like everybody else, I tried and uh, like most people failed to get additional tickets for the Rangers game in April uh, when I seen a tweet and it, it was shared amongst various Celtic groups on WhatsApp. Um, and I dived in there. There wasn't, I just seen grey seats like most people. Um, but there was obviously a clamour for the tickets. These games are going to have a completely different dynamic. We got a flavour of it last February at Celtic Park Lloyd, where Celtic played in front of a, an exclusively home support and we absolutely destroyed Rangers 3 0. Um, what do you make of the developments here? I know it happened last week, but mm -hmm. what's your thoughts on it? Uh, we used to get, you know, the seven and a half roughly, the broom loan. Uh, Rangers would get uh, sufficient tickets to Celtic Park. That all changed, and we know why, because Rangers decided to cut the allocation to 700 for reasons that I don't think they've ever explained. We can speculate on I think them. we all know their reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's taken a completely different turn because Celtic have gone to the club and said to them, this doesn't suit us, it doesn't suit the fans because uh, there's a safety issue with 700 fans being in the ground. And there's a fan experience issue because, I mean, we've spoken to some some of the contributors on here 
um, who says that it is so toxic when you're one of the 700 at Ibrox. And uh, we asked for a return to the 7.5, which was refused. And then Celtic obviously said, OK, we're not taking an allocation for Ibrox. And by the way, you're not getting any tickets for Celtic Park. So that's where we are now. And we're at a situation, Lloyd, where you think, is this ever going to change? How's it going to affect the fixture? And by the way, I think it's going to benefit us this season because uh, obviously the game in April could be a massive uh, match towards winning the title. Well, going on the match in April alone, I, I still believe if you win that comfortably, full Celtic Park, 60,000, confident. I, really, I'd be looking for a bit of 4 now again. But that's just me personally. <laughs> but the confidence that, uh, that that can take you into for the semi-final as well, if you yeah. absolutely annihilate Rangers in that game. The fan experience, though, you need to go to the football safe. I think every fan, no matter what team you support, wants that. They want to go to the game, watch the game, enjoy it, whether they're with their family, friends, anything. Do I think the allocation will ever return to what it once was? No. But I have seen about a five a five percent thing that they do for like European games. Mm-hmm. That that might be a possibility. But I just I don't see Rangers accepting that. I really don't. But Celtic done the right thing. Take the tickets off them. They started it. We'll, we we'll finished it. <laughs> uh, pretty much, I. It's yes. it, because this was the thing. They, they only done it because they were fed up here celebrating mm. the for all the absolute doings that they got and they spat the dummy out. So now, a bit of taste of their own medicine. Well, it's come back to bite them. Mm. I mean, the thing with the, the celebrations, absolutely. I also think that they were, there was a situation there, Jim, where they were trying to cash in on maximising the season ticket revenue as well. Aye, um, aye, but aye, now... There's going to be no, and you you'll remember back in the day, you the away ties at Ibrox and how, let's be honest, the away fans were a massive part of any Celtic success. And I'm pretty sure Ange would prefer to have his tribe in the in the terraces support the team. Back in the day, back in the day, you would get half of Ibrox and they'd roughly get half of Celtic Park. Now, season tickets has changed over that straight away, so you can't do that. I think. There's a big difference between fan experience and fan safety. I think they are two different things. And the fan experience at Celtic Park, isn't, isn't that great? I, I don't mean at that game. I mean, just in general terms. I think there's a number of things that we should do better, but we'll maybe leave that for another time. But it's all about safety for me. And we had this discussion in the next one before. I think it was Brian and Natasha and I. And Natasha's one of the people who managed to get tickets for Ibrox. She's everywhere. So I can understand that not getting a ticket for Ibrox is a huge thing. I can never get a ticket for Ibrox, so it doesn't bother me from a personal point of view going there. But I think it's unsafe. And what I said last time was that home fans only, for me, is the way forward. The 3-0 game last season, uh, yeah, we won the game. Yeah, we played really well. Yeah, there was a great atmosphere. But it was a great atmosphere before the game. There was a great atmosphere before the game. Leading up to it, it was a great atmosphere. And safety is the most important thing. And I think Natasha talked about, well, we need more checks. There's people getting into games with rocket launchers these days. You know, unbelievable. I'm, I'm, I'm in the League Cup final there, right? and I've got a horrible seat. And Hamden is horrible. Hamden is horrible. It's just raise it to the ground, 
sell it for houses and give money to grassroots football. That's my solution for, for Hamden. Unless you're in the north or south stand, near the back, it's, it's, it's a horrible fan experience. It's, it's hopeless. So I'm behind the goals and you can't see beyond the halfway line because you're miles behind the goals as it is. And then about five minutes before the game, some, some guy appears from nowhere and he's got his mask on and he's got one of these pyrotechnics. And it's going off. And it's, it's, it's boiling. And you're thinking, what are you doing? Is it going to take a really bad accident or somebody getting killed before these people stop bringing pyros into the games? That's about safety. There's your fan experience. And you can say, well, you know, you're standing there nowhere near the pyros and people come to you with pyros. You know, so I think safety is the main thing. I think lots, a lot less people, uh, a, a lot more people will be safer if it's home fans only. So I'd like to see it being just home fans only. And I'm sure uh, the hospitals around Glasgow and in Scotland in general would much prefer it if there was only one one set of fans going to the games. And if the atmosphere was then to go by the 3-0 game, uh, that won't suffer. Uh, and people, I mean, you have to admit that when it was half and half and well, there was a bigger allocation, the atmosphere is a bit... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word to use... No very good. Pretty pretty bad atmosphere within the game. Loads of noise, oh I Great for the telly, great for Sky. But if you're at the game, it's pretty bad in terms of the stuff that's getting sang. That's another thing, the songbook that we've got just now. You need to take a long, hard look at some of the stuff that, that's getting sung. Unacceptable stuff. But anyway, off that tangent there. Home fans only for me, Paul, yeah. Well, <clears throat> you mentioned there about the TV and that experience, you know, the broadcastable experience and the billing that has been given to this Derby game. Um, how does it affect that, Jim? Does it affect that? Does it affect broadcasting deals? Don't care. Don't care. Not do me. Because my, my kind of... I talked about fan experience there. So I'll give you, <laughs> give you the game last uh, Saturday. Hibs last Saturday, right? So I can't see the big screen from where I am. The people talk about VAR. And the fans are confused because the big screen says something. I can't even see the big screen. Now, recently, or recently, maybe two or three seasons ago, there was small screens dotted about. They're all away. So what's happened to those screens? Celtic, if anyone's watching, can we get the screens back? Because some people can see them can't see any screen yeah. to be more confused about VAR. The Wi-Fi at Celtic Park, it's like a twilight zone. You're going to see the park and like, what's happening here? Like, so because maybe... I mean, I don't text you. Anyone who texts you in a football match should be removed. The stewards should just remove them. You're texting, you're out. I'm sorry, mate. That's it. Lifetime ban. You're not coming back. But half time, you might want to kind of go on Twitter to see what actually happened and why was the VAR going there. I've uh, gone to Axom even, and you've got somebody in Hungary who knows more than you do sitting at the match. It's, 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 it's mental. And then the half time and the. Saturday, Michael Lustig came on at half time. Mm -hmm. So you can't get on the Wi Fi to figure out why Hibbs got a penalty. So you think, well, I'll watch Michael, but I can't see him because I can't see the big screen. So I'll listen to what he says, and the PA is awful, and you can't hear what he's saying. <laughs> so there's. It's a good job we're winning, eh? It's a good job we're winning. There's your fan experience. <laughs> I can't see the big screen, I can't hear the PA, and the Wi Fi doesn't work. But apart from that, it's brilliant. So it's now catering for people. Like, no, it's not a rant, obviously. It's now catering for people who are watching games on TV, and and fine, that's okay. But the most important people, for me, they're not better. Let me stress that. Now the people that are paying their hard-earned money 
mm-hmm. at the gate, whether it's a season ticket or just going on the day of the game, they're the ones to look after. They're the ones you need to tell what's happening. You know, and and we don't. You know, and that's Celtic. But Hamden's ten times worse, albeit I think the PA system's really good at Hamden. But really you could get good, on the really ele- electronic sponsorship boards around the park, even Jim. You could have, you could utilise those. Everybody right. can see those. You know, there's mm-hmm. loads of things that people could do, and I think Celtic yeah. missed lots of tricks. Very simple things that they could. Do. I don't mean that stuff. I mean other stuff as well. That you see, why don't they do this? Because that's an obvious thing to do. Mm. What was the question? Home fans only. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Without a doubt, no. But you, you raised some really decent points, and you, you know, people do cotton on to what is suggested on fan media because there, there is a relationship of sorts between fan media and the club. So often the, the message goes out there, Jim, it does filter back into the football club. I want to ask both of you about Bertie Old. He would have celebrated his 85th birthday this week, Lloyd. And he's a man who I have said, I have claimed, I have stated, and I'm willing to be proven otherwise. I reckon he's the biggest personality in the history of Celtic. People going about the best players, best managers, best entertainers. I reckon Bertie was the biggest personality. And Jim, you had the opportunity to meet the great man prior to him passing away back on the 14th of November 2021. And indeed, you've written a play um, about Bertie. But I'll come to you first, Lloyd. Best personality in the history of Celtic, Bertie Old? Oh, aye. He just had a presence about him, didn't he? He was fantastic just to even talk to for five minutes. He really was. And he will always be somebody that will always be missed within. I think even the football club, even to this day, still miss him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, what I found really unusual, but in a good way, is when you met him, he spoke to you like he knew you, Jim. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had that yeah. thing where if he was introduced, then he, he would then call you by your name. He would kind of yeah. hold you by the forearm, kind of thing. And it was like he already knew you. But I think that was the experience he gave every Celtic fan that he ever met. That's a unique talent to put people at their ease straight mm-hmm. away. And this is if you know the guy and you're thinking, this is Bertie Hall, this is a Lisbon line, this is an iconic figure. And as I said, when I met him, it was like, you know, it's the first time I'd met him. And, uh, you know, like a kind of long-lost pal, basically. And it was quite bizarre. And you're thinking, this is Bertie Hall, this, this can't be right. Uh, I think you're correct. I think he's easily the biggest Celtic personality of all time. If Jinky had lived a bit longer, you know, if he'd have lived into his, into his 70s, maybe Jinky might have given a run for his money because he was a confident guy as well. But if you see any of the functions back in the day when the Lisbon lads got together, Bertie's the first guy to grab the mic <laughs> and they all kind of stand back as if to say, oh, here we go again. Bertie's going to do his kind of usual. Uh, really confident, really, really funny guy. People say he could have been a stand-up comic. His comic timing was exceptional. He's got loads of stories. The thing I said before about there's lots of easy things that Celtic could do, the Bertie Old Tunnel, which was suggested by Tony Haggerty. Why wouldn't you do that? I don't know. That's such a simple mm-hmm. thing. The Tommy Burns Academy, why wouldn't you do things like that? But to get back to Bertie, I 100%. Easily the biggest Celtic personality. I've played in that team, and, and one of the things that we talked about in the play, uh, uh, shameless plug, uh, going to Vegas, is <laughs> uh, that uh, he tells the story, or Des tells the story of him telling the story of uh, the 1957 League Cup final, where he got dropped for the final, and he played in every round before he got to the, to the final, and that's another iconic game that he could have played. Mm-hmm. And people don't think about Bertie being you know, that young or that old, whatever you want to call it, to have played in the 57 team. 
because the 57 team seemed like, well, that's Charlie Tully and all these old guys, but Bertie could have played in that team. And uh, yeah, and to be honest, if you're a Lisbon line, then you're up there. And then if you keep in the public eye for as much as he did, for as long as he did, but everyone loves him, I totally agree. I think biggest personality, not the best player ever, obviously, but certainly the biggest personality ever, without a question of a doubt. Yeah. That, that is incredible because it was Neely Mockin who took his place in the final. Oh, and yeah. imagine Bertie's career had taken in a European final for Birmingham City <laughs> as well as a 7 1 game. And that's the thing yeah. about football as well. Sorry, buttoning again, that, that, that things happen. So Bertie's at Celtic, but then Bertie goes away. And mm. a lot of times you think, well, that's unfinished then, but then he comes back. So. You know, why did they come back and whose idea was it come back and so and then that changes history and then before you know it, they win Lisbon and he's this legendary figure and and, and blah bloody blah, blah. And that's what makes football so great. It's all these kind of sliding door moments. What if that had happened? Because I think Falkirk were interested in bringing them back. So he could have went to Falkirk, you know, and disappeared from from view altogether. And these 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 be things in life that affect everyone. You know, that wee minute where you did that instead of doing that and all of a sudden this is happening. Yeah. I know, I know. We've got the great picture of him with a bowler hat after the Leeds United game up on the wall there. Uh, 1970 semi-final, almost the final before the final. Um, absolutely, it's right to remember the man. And as Jim says, he has taken Bend It Like Bertie to Vegas. You've also got Bend It Like Bratback coming up. Jim, tell us all about it. Bend It Like Bratback is coming up. Uh, Kerry Dale Suite at the end of June. Uh, 23rd, 24th, I think it is. And we're also going to Corby. Uh, the end of May. So if you live near Corby or within 500 miles of Corby, uh, we're down there. That's a kind of a debut in England for Ben Lett Bratback. And obviously, this is the 25th anniversary. I thought we'd be missed the boat, but James McInerney, being the brilliant guy that he is, he's managed to get some dates. Uh, Kerry Dale Street will be brilliant end of June. And I'm also going to Corby, which I believe is a bit, kind of, bit of a kind of little Scotland, little Ireland uh, end of May. So really looking forward to those two dates and the 25th anniversary. So, uh, and I'm also going to the SEC event at the start of May, uh, a night with the t- uh, women's team. So, I'm looking forward to that as well. So, yeah, kind of exciting times. I'm also going to Newcastle in June. I've got a play called Bender Like Bobby, about Bobby Moncur, not about, about Newcastle winning the first cup. So, we're doing a one off night in there. So, we'll see how that goes. So, hey ho. Yeah, I never man. You are a busy man. You've got uh, Vegas lined up and you've got Celtic tweeting about your play. What a busy, busy life you are now leading. And, you know, you retired to take a break, Jim, and and you're as busy as ever. It's great. It's good Uh, fun. It's good fun. It really is good fun. Yeah. You get to meet meet people people like Lloyd. I met Lloyd up at... uh, what for night was that Tom Boyd night? Gracie's. Uh, Brian McLeary, I think it was. Brian McLeary night, yeah. So there you go. Mm-hmm. You get to meet Lloyd, so what could be better than that? So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> and it's through that meeting that Lloyd's now sitting here talking to us about Celtic. I'll be back at Gracie's tomorrow night. Uh, Danny uh, McGrain is unable to join us on stage, but he has been replaced with one of his ex teammates in Peter Grant, who I've got to say has been like a breath of fresh air to Celtic TV, and I'm looking forward to having him on the stage at Gracie's. Uh, due to the change in lineup, there is now, I think, about 20 tickets available. If you want to come along to that, then uh, the tickets are on Skiddle, or you can nip into Gracie's and get a ticket from Gracie's as well. We're getting told that we need to unleash a show, a team rather, of Jim, John and Lawrence. Listen, it might happen. Why? Why? It might Why happen. That? What's the logic behind that? I just think there's three big personalities there, Jim. 
old guys. It's all old guys, that's right. Jim, you mentioned there that Bertie left. People thought it was over, but it hadn't even started yet, really. And Andrew uh, Galea makes a point. We're likely to lose a bad in Forest. We need wingers. Michael Jorston is good backup. Who knows? He might be back at the club. We shall wait and see. I've got to thank everybody for getting involved in the chat section. It's an, always a pleasure uh, to get you up on the screen. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the channel. And if you are that way inclined, give us a wee thumbs up on YouTube as well, because it all helps with the algorithm. We're trying to grow that channel. If you want to come along to any of our gigs, all the links are underneath this particular video. I'll be talking to Alan McGee tonight. I'm away to get ready to go through to Glasgow. Uh, McGee uh, ran Creation Records, which was an incredible um, independent music label that produced so many phenomenal bands and iconic bands. I'll be asking them all about that um, as well. If you fancy coming along, at last count, there was 12 tickets available. We Friday night on an inter international week weekend. Come along and get involved. And um, you can see probably quite a few of the Axon team who will be there as well. Lawrence will definitely be there, um, <laughs> as will Kevin Graham. All that's left for me to say, Jim Moore and Lloyd Patrick Jepson. Thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Cheers, Paul. Come on. Cheers. Network.